Hello and welcome to Wealth of Knowledge. I'm your host, Antonio Barbera, and I'm excited to begin the first episode of the Leaders Talk series. For some background, U.S. News and World Report Executive Chairman Eric Gertler and President and CEO Bill Holliber recently returned from the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland, and we'll be publishing interviews they conducted with a wide range of leaders in business, media, and politics through Wealth of Knowledge as part of the Leaders Talk series. I'm joined in studio today by U.S. News President and CEO Bill Holliber. Bill, thank you so much for spending some time with us. Thank you. Before we get to the interviews, I want to ask, what was your experience at Davos? Why take part in this series of interviews with global business leaders? Well, we thought the best place to do something like this would be actually where, in one of those rare instances, global leaders, uh, business leaders, NGO leaders uh, congregate in one place. And there's probably no better place in the world than to go to the World Economic Forum. And uh, the goal there was to try to explore with as many people that uh, we were interviewing and talking with, what they thought was going to be the key things to be part of 21st century leadership. Uh, and a lot of things that were fact or factor in that, uh, what they're sort of categorizing today is, is the fourth industrial re- revolution, which is really the disruptive nature of what technology is in terms of how it's transforming the way we live, the way we work, uh, and the way uh, countries and uh, companies operate. So how is leadership going to change under that sort of uh, adjustment and uh, transformation that's occurring. Some of the things that we discovered that we thought was very interesting that I think you'll hear in some of the interviews that I did was uh, the focus, and this is, I would say, across the board, no matter who we talk with, the focus on uh, not only leaders transforming, but transforming how uh, their company operates. That's more collaboration. Uh, uh, attributes around diversity, equality, uh, attributes around innovation, social impact, doing things for the greater good. So I think you're going to hear a lot of things around that, uh, whether it's someone that is, runs an NGO, whether it's someone that runs a company, or even in some cases, uh, people, someone that runs a, a country. And then the, uh, the organization around the UN 17 Sustainable Goals is a really good organizational principle that a lot of people are now um, using as a way to build a platform for leadership in the future. And a lot of that has to do with uh, doing things that you're going to do good in the world, but also has sustainability for economic growth and transformation. So it's really interesting to see that going on. And some companies are just starting to do that. Uh, and some companies are, are have been doing it for, you know, a couple, couple of decades already. So in all those conversations, you'll see different ranges of approaches like that. We're about to hear a conversation you had with Alicia Tillman, the chief marketing officer of multinational software company SAP. Can you give us a little preview as to what your conversation was about? So Alicia is is a very unique spot where she has to create the brand story for SAP. SAP being one of the largest uh, technology companies in the world, 
Uh, and the big thing that they're focused on uh, is uh, creating change around societal changes, uh, being more diverse, uh, inclusive workforces. There's a lot of challenges today. You know, they're a company that has uh, four different generations of workforces within a company. So the ability to transform uh, is very important. Uh, and leaders are, are trying to figure that out. Leadership, in her mind, uh, and what's going on at SAP is about creating a vision, uh, a vision that has a higher purpose, uh, that helps the world run better and improve people's lives, and uh, also a strong ecosystem of collaboration, not only internally within the company, but with their customers, and more importantly, most importantly, uh, the impact that their company has on the consumers that benefit from their technology. So I think that's going to be a big part of her conversation. And now from the conversation that you had with Alicia, and we'll hear more about it in detail in the actual interview, but what are a few things that SAP is doing well in furthering leadership standards in the 21st century that other companies could replicate? I, I think the training and work that they're doing, they have uh, you know, 95,000 people work there. It's a, it's a small city, the best way to describe it. Uh, but I think it's the training on creating more diversity of skills, diversity of thought, uh, differing, bringing people in have different abilities, uh, different races, different religious beliefs, and getting them all to work together across a very diverse consumer, uh, customer base. And in the end, bringing all of that together, that creativity, the cultural creativity that is really going to be needed to be able to be successful for a global company like SAP. Great, thank you. So what you will hear next is Bill's interview from Davos with SAP Chief Marketing Officer, Alicia Tillman. So Alicia, just to kick it off right away, we're, we're talking about 21st century leadership, mm -hmm. but there's a lot of factors that uh, impact 21st century leadership. And you know, first you need to sort of understand what those issues are. What is, what's the disruption going on, whether it be you know, globally, societal, within companies, uh, what leaders are dealing with, workforces, even citizens. Can, can you talk about a little bit of that, that from your perspective? Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of uh, forces and issues yeah. and opportunities that, that leaders of today are, are focused on. And, you know, you have a lot of your societal challenges, um, things such as how do you create a more diverse and inclusive workforce? How do you have more gender equality? Those are all issues that are very leadership specific in terms of what we need to do to, to create more fair and, and um, growth driven uh, workforces. So that's one. Then you have all of the disruptions in technology that everyone is still trying to figure out. I mean, we talk very openly about artificial intelligence and machine learning, um, but knowing the actual application of that in your business and, and what it can change and what value it can bring um, is also what leaders are, are trying to figure out. And then I think somewhat related to that is really the skills and the leadership that is needed of your workforce. How do I ensure that I have the skills to grow my business for the next decade that incorporates a lot of the new technologies that are in the marketplace today. So it's people is always going to be a top issue and making sure that you have the right people with the right skills, making sure that you're very purpose oriented and focused on things that matter 
to your employees, things such as gender equality, and then how do you embrace embrace new disruptive technologies to help run your business more effectively? Yeah, in a company as large as SAP, you probably have four generations of workforces. Yes, at, that's at all, absolutely right. At all different levels. Mm -hmm. um, and with all the disruption going on, uh, how, how do you, in terms of a challenge uh, that a company has to address in order to manage these disruptions, is, 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 is there's a process that has to occur in an organization. There's a process that has to occur with your suppliers, yes. right? Because if you, you, their customers, uh, your customers, and also citizens, because it's all interconnected. It is. How, the, how do you see that, that working with, within an organization? How, what are the things that maybe you're doing, your company's doing, to bring that all together? Yeah, no, it's a great question. I would say you first have to start with the vision, and it has to be something that is the higher purpose of ultimately what we are in the business of doing. Um, and our vision as a company when we were founded 47 years ago was to help the world run better and improve people's lives. And we intended to enable that through technology. And so that has always been our vision. And then we have to ensure that we have a strategy in place of what we are offering across our suite of capabilities to help our customers realize that vision. Um, and that strategy is ever evolving based on customer needs and marketplace conditions. And so that is very key. To enable that, besides technology, we have to have a strong ecosystem where collaboration can occur. Especially if we think about a lot of the discussion and dialogue this week at the World Economic Forum, it is so much about how you can impact change in the world, but how we can do that together. And how do we come together on a collaborative level and create the real change that's needed, both within the walls of your company and outside of the walls of your company as well. And one great example of collaboration, uh, we have had a technology partnership with Google Cloud for the past year and a half. Um, but as the CMO of SAP and you know my colleague who's the CMO of Google Cloud, we had said, but we both also share a common purpose, which is to help the world run better um, and improve, improve people's lives on some level. And we said, what if we actually took our assets, we brought them together, and we used it to help support that goal, but do it in a collaborative way? So we launched this social entrepreneurship competition this week, um, of which we'll put Google Cloud resources together with SAP resources behind social entrepreneurs so that they can be armed with the technology, the mentorship from us, and the scale that's needed to really have their ideas come to life so that the real change and impact can happen. And the best is there'll be probably incredible outcomes when that gets started. Beautiful right? outcomes, because yeah. so much of of what's been on the CEO agenda this week right. is that the future, in a lot of ways, rests in the hands of our social entrepreneurs. Right. And, and I think it's also the combination of the private sector uh, leading the way to help provide better quality of life, doing things for the greater good. But it, it's also good business to do that. Right? There's, there's a combination and an importance uh, and connection right. with that. So I don't want, I'm going to come back to where we, we just left off and just have you give me some highlights of what you think are the most important individual characteristics of leadership today. I would say number one is vision. You have to have a vision. Um, and that has to be clear. Right. 
Um, and then you have to have a strategy to be able to enable that vision. So that's what I would say from a goal-oriented standpoint. From a leadership um, characteristics, I would say you have to be authentic. We live in a world where everybody wants truth and trust and people have this radar that immediately goes off when they don't sense that they can trust the person that they either want to buy from or they want to partner from. So you have to be authentic, you have to focus on building trust, um, and you, you have to be collaborative. Um, you know, one of our board members here this morning on a panel, Adair Fox Martin, had said that collaboration is the key to success, not only within the walls of your company, but outside the walls of your company as well. And so if you can realize the power that rests in your ecosystem and collaborate, that's when you see change happening at scale. And so that's what I would yeah. say is my final is collaboration. So getting back to purpose, uh, SAP has attendance of purpose. You have mm-hmm. outlined, uh, it's a very important part of the brand. Uh, it's part of what you do as a company. Your business model is built on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've taken a very bold step to think uh, and address all of the UN uh, SDGs, which is yeah. a, which is a bold, ambitious, but it's built into your business model in, right. in a lot of ways. Uh, how, how is purpose driven? How, how do you identify results in that process? Yeah. In the end, you want to sh- you want to be able to measure that, mm-hmm. and you want to have accountability with that, and you want to see progress being made. Mm-hmm. I mean, we we made a decision to align our initiatives to the seventeen yeah. SDGs because it is a framework um, and a very comprehensive view into the change that needs to happen across our society, our economies, and the environment, and. Um, it allows you, when you have that framework, to begin to drive some tangible goals against it. And when we look at our technology, we look at our technology through the lens of the 17 sustainable development goals to see where our impact can be had. And so, for example, when we were working with Google Cloud to understand this social entrepreneurship competition that we created, we said, okay, well, what, which SDG is this going to impact? And we realized very quickly it will impact SDG number 12, which right. is focused on responsible consumption and production. We said that is an effort to really drive the goals of that forward. Similarly, if we look at the network, the Ariba network that we have within SAP, which is the largest business-to-business commerce network in the world, of which we have over two million companies and a trillion dollars of commerce that's going through on an annual basis. That gives us transparency into the supply chain where we have an opportunity to focus on decent work and economic and free trade, which is also a big component of the SDGs as well. And so the more we can innovate in line with what the SDGs are trying to support and we can show companies signing on and companies starting to have cleaner supply chains or starting to see impact in this new circular economy that we're talking about, that's the way you start to have measurable goals. But as long as it starts with a framework, and that's what I think the SDGs allow for for us. And and, uh, how does that sort of transfer to company culture? How does that work with, uh, you know, attracting talent, retaining talent? And then you have the citizens, the mm-hmm. people that maybe don't know mm-hmm. why things are better in their life. 
Can you talk about both of those? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, we have 97,000 employees now yeah. at SAP, and we've always believed that the only way for us to drive forward with a successful technology roadmap is if we have all 97,000 people bringing their personal values and their views and their ways of operating to the office every single day because with over 450,000 customers now, um, we're not creating 450,000 unique instances of our software. We're creating a single piece of software that we hope is going to work for 450,000 customers. And so the only way we believe to do that is when you have diversity behind who is actually creating those, those innovations. The more diverse skills, the more diverse areas of thought, people with differing abilities, people of different color, different race, different religious beliefs, all of that is necessary for us to create a very diverse product set that's going to appeal to a very diverse customer base. And so when you bring that together and you create a culture of diversity and inclusion, then you have success in what you're trying to achieve with your customers. So that's how it comes together. Right, and I know something that's important to you is transferring what the impact that SAP technology, the impact that the your clients that work with you on society in general, but actually to citizens. And, yes. And and what is it that you want them, the, the, the ordinary citizen, to know? Nearly 90% of the world's transactions touch SAP software in some way. Yeah. However, the average consumer will not have heard of SAP as a brand. And so my role and, and largely what I've been focused on in you know the past year that I've been in the role is how do I really reprogram what it means to be a B2B marketer in a consumer world? Because the reality is, is that we will sell software to a handful of decision makers within a company, but every employee becomes a user of that and their influence into the decision as to what technologies their companies are using is absolutely what is expected of, of right. how employees are choosing what companies they work for. Um, and so we need to make sure that we are marketing to everyone. Right. And that means really becoming more human in our messaging, more focused on the relevancy that we provide, but also focused on what matters. And that's the fact that beyond the efficiencies that we create to help companies run better, it's that same technology that we're using to help make the world a better place. Because if you think about the way transactional decisions are made today at the point of sale, nearly 85% of all consumers, if they have a choice between two companies and one has great products, but they're also giving back to society in some way versus a company who simply just offers a good product, 85% of the time the consumer is choosing to work with the company that's giving back in some way. And so we have to take that on board in terms of how we shape our messaging and our strategies because it matters in terms of how people buy today. The buyers are, are different. Uh, Very different. And uh, as the young new buyers come in, as we know, mm -hmm. their viewpoint is exactly like that. The soft, yeah. soft power issues yeah. are the things that, that motivate them. Exactly. So one last question. Sure. A little more personal. Okay. Uh, I didn't let you know that beforehand, but who, who <laughs> has shaped you in as a leader and the person that you are today? Yeah, I mean, I would say, um, you know, there's two people who, who come to mind. Um, you know, my, my mother was a working career woman, um, you know, who essentially, you know, raised m me and my brothers entirely on her own while also 
juggling a, a really significant career. And you know, I learned very, very early on about responsibility and independence, but also accountability. And I think accountability is also an essential characteristic of leaders today. Um, but you have to be accountable. You have to be accountable for your actions and your words um, and the commitments you make. And then the other I would say, you know, that has really helped shape me in terms of my soft skills and my leadership skills. But my very first leader that I worked for out of college, a man uh, by the name of Hal Rosenbluth, who started a travel management company in Philadelphia. And um, it was my first role where I served as his business manager for two and a half years. And he essentially trained me through the eyes of, of the CEO. And so I got to see how every aspect of a corporation works hand in hand with each other because you know, typically you get in your roles in the department that you work in and you only really see that. And so there's oftentimes a lot of silo mentalities that come up and not the collaboration that you necessarily need to see in a workplace. But to be able to, to learn that through the eyes and see the company through the eyes of the CEO really enabled me to really understand the power of collaboration and why there all are, are different departments and different functions and how to really optimize you know, that working together for success. Great. Well, yeah. thank you very much, Alicia. Thank you. Your point of, points of view on 21st century leadership are really interesting, and we thank you very much. Great. Thank you, Bill. Good. Continuing on the theme of leadership in the 21st century, Bill, the second interview which we're about to play is one you had with Shelley Zalas, CEO of the Female Quotient, a female-owned business committed to advancing equality in the workplace. What did you discuss with Shelley? Well, as, as people know who Shelley is, uh, a very successful person in um, research, uh, leading, uh, leading woman in the field of research, and after she moved on, uh, she started the female quotient, mainly because you know ha having a woman uh, is part of the mix of making decisions, and in business today is critically important. Important, and in order to do that, you know she recognized that a woman alone is powerful, but collectively they have impact, and that is a heartbeat moment for her. So that's where she established and created uh, the female quotient. It's uh, 17,000 women globally. Uh, it's, you know, we talk about in business uh, in, uh, intelligent quotients, IQ, emotional quotient, EQ, and now comes uh, female quotient, FQ. And putting a woman into that equation is really important. I think the highlight, there's a lot of highlights on the conversation. She is a pioneer in really helping everybody understand the value of equality. And I think the, the thing that is really, really important to understand is that there is a business of equality. It makes good business sense that uh, there's a significant ROI, a return on equality, and a return on equality, according to McKinsey, that if um, the uh, wage gap with male-female was more equal, it would add about $28 trillion to the global GDP by wow. 2025. So a lot of it is centered around that and the value of that. And I think her research background of, identi and, and of identifying where the opportunities are, but, but also measuring the impact of that is what's going to make her organization one of the most important organizations that, uh, around the world. 
At a certain point in your conversation with Shelley, she mentions a list of skills that make a great leader today, and she used sort of masculine and feminine skills, and, and she named a few were decisive, directive, analytic, and then nurturing, empathetic, passionate, and collaborative in, in two sort of separate categories that work together well. How can they be implemented in a company's business model? Well, you know, she she took a lot that information from a good friend of ours, John Gerzema, CEO of the Harris Poll, who wrote uh, the Athena Doctrine. And, you know, so the masculine qualities and feminine qualities, bringing them to get together, I think what's really key there is that that's the, one of the core elements of 21st century leadership, that you need to have that sensitivity, that emotional intelligence in order to move forward today. Uh, a lot of it is related to uh, who you are as a leader, that uh, you're not uh, uh, being an autocratic leader is not necessarily the most important thing today, that uh, a leader that brings values is very important to the company, to its, to its employees. It's also the way you attract talent. I think that's something that uh, Shelley talks a lot about, you know, bringing the right talent in to be able to create a culture like that. It's also the way the new generation of workforces think about companies today, not only to invest in, but also do, do I want to work for a company that has the right values? And these, um, these traits, whether it be decisive, directive, linear, analytic, or empathetic, nurturing, passionate, and collaborative, are great traits to actually have phenomenal leadership skills to bring those together. You'll now hear Bill's interview from Davos with CEO of the Female Quotient, Shelley Zalis. So, Shelley, what was your inspiration for starting the Female Quotient? Oh God, that's actually a hard question because it was not a cognitive decision. It was, I call it, a heartbeat moment. And the Female Quotient went from a moment to a movement, truthfully, um, a few years ago when I decided to go to CES and I heard there was 150,000 people, less than 3% were women. And even for a CEO like me that is well known in market research, I didn't know anyone in the technology world. So what does a girl do when she's a little intimidated? She invites her girlfriends. So that's what I did. I invited a few girlfriends, said walk with me um, on the floor of CES. And if you know other women, invite them as well. And 24 hours later, 50 women showed up. Hmm. And two remarkable things happened. One, every guy's head turned. Like, where did you women come from? And that was a power of the pack moment. A woman alone is power. Collectively, we have impact. And the second was a confidence moment. You know, confidence is beautiful. Confidence comes from when you feel like you are the majority. Confidence comes in numbers. And we just shared so many of the same values and challenges. And that is when the Girls' Lounge was born to take on the Boys' Club. There's a Boys' Club. Now came the girls' lounge, opposite of boy-girl, opposite of club lounge. And now we are 17,000 women strong, corporate women globally, connected through this community called the girls' lounge, um, where we create pop-up spaces at industry conferences, as well as rolling out permanent spaces on university campuses with our SAP NextGen partner. Um, but the female quotient really came from, we talk about the intelligence quotient, IQ. We talk about the emotional quotient, EQ. Now comes the female quotient, FQ. When you put women in any equation, there's a return on equality. And we talk about diversity being good for business, and yet corporations have been going backwards. 
So I decided to start a company committed to creating actions for change, accountability for change, and creating conscious leadership where we will stop just admiring the problems but truly walking the talk and, and making a big difference. So, you know, you, you uh, started a very su- and created a very successful research company. Um, so you understand how businesses run. Um, but how do you connect equality and how and why is that good for business? You know, it's funny because I, I uh, trademarked business of equality. There's no company in the business of equality. And if you actually talk about the business of equality, mm-hmm. you understand that there's a bottom line. Business is about the ROI. Mm-hmm. And so for us, instead of measuring the ROI, we measure the ROE, the return on equality. And diversity is good for business. We all understand that. If we close the wage gap, we can add over $28 trillion to the global GDP by 2025, according to McKinsey. If we have diversity in the workforce, we can add more creativity and more innovation to the workforce. If we um, demand that our suppliers have a diverse you know, workforce as well, money talks. We can actually start implementing change and seeing the, um, the actions around you know, the demands that we are currently making. And so you know, I really believe that unconscious bias is an excuse, equality is a choice, and if we truly believe in the business of equality, then we should stop talking about closing the gap. We should stop talking about you know, flipping the script with diversity numbers. We should rewrite the rules in the workplace, which by the way, were written over 100 years ago by men for men, when women just weren't in the workplace, change the policies, and create leadership with true accountability for change. Do you think it's possible to actually measure ROI today and to get companies to embrace that knowing that you have a strong research background is that something that you think is possible everything is possible if you want to be accountable Mm -hmm. it's very easy to sign pledges and sign you know petitions that you're committed to doing something Mm -hmm. but actually doing something and measuring your progress is where the action and the changes happen and you know, technology today is an enabler. It's right. as Mark Benioff, the CEO of Salesforce says, it's the one button push. If you truly want to close the wage gap, you first need to understand what your gap is. He pushed the button, found the inequity, $3 million delta, closed it, and moving forward, equal pay for equal work. Not complicated. Right. In our lounges, we sell candy for a dollar to men and 80 cents to women just to sensationalize how silly this conversation is. Mm-hmm. And that's on average women. Black women, 63 cents on the dollar. Mm-hmm. Latinas, 54 cents on the dollar. We know there's a problem. So are we truly gonna wait, according to the World Economic Forum, 217 years mm-hmm. until we realize, or until we close the wage gap? Are we going to wait 118 years before we see parity in the C-suite? Like these numbers are, like, what, I, I can't even believe we're actually talking about them today to expect a result in 217 years. So equality is a choice and bias is an excuse. It's really interesting because uh, obviously you've taken a key leadership role in that. and. Sort of thinking about 21st century leadership, 
and gender equality is at the at the center of that. Um, uh, but when you think about it broadly, what do you think are the most important qualities? And this is a two-part question that successful leaders have to have individuals, but then also successful companies. I love that question because I think that leadership is not about age, it's about action. And to me, the greatest leaders are those that inspire others to be their best selves, not ones that motivate, but truly inspirational leadership that also understands accountability for change. So I think characteristics, um, the best characteristics of leadership today um, are actually ones with soft power feminine qualities. It's not male or female, it's the masculine feminine. Um, and our friend John Gerzema really says this so well in the right. Athena Doctrine. But the masculine qualities, decisive, directive, linear, analytic. The feminine qualities, nurturing, empathetic, passionate, collaborative. Um, and I think that those are the greatest skills today for leadership. Uh, a leader that listens, a leader that is open, a leader with an inclusive mindset, a leader that truly has empathy, and a leader that is proactive, positive, and willing to write the rules for today mm -hmm. so that all humans can thrive. Mm -hmm. So I think it's someone with heart. And how does that transfer to, to, to some of the companies that you work with or companies you're aware of that is it possible that a company could build that into their business model as well? Absolutely. I think if it's not built into the business model, mm -hmm. companies today have purpose in their DNA. And if they don't have purpose in their DNA, A, they will not be a company of the future, and B, they will not attract and retain the best talent. That is clear. So I think that there are um, companies making significant um, decisions towards change. For, and ones that I really love, I mean, especially with parental policies, mm, we're right. starting to see cities and countries with regulations um, on parental leave. We've got maternity leave. But think about it. If you have a man and woman equally qualified, the woman's going to take three months off for maternity leave. You can't replace her position, which is costly. Once she comes back, she's not going to be able to work the long hours. She's not going to be able to travel at the same you know, level as a man if she's the primary caregiver. Mm -hmm. If a man is primary caregiver, he'll have the same issues. That's the problem. So then you look at elective, um, um, elective paternity leave. Mm -hmm. Well, 30, I think I'm going to say this correctly, 36 only 36% of men take elective paternity leave, full paternity leave, mm -hmm. because they're afraid it shows a sign of weakness. Mm -hmm. So where do we go with this? If we have mandatory parental leave, we can at least level the playing field mm -hmm. for the, the mother penalty, which we typically see as a big issue with women in middle right. management rising to leadership. So Paul Pullman, the CEO, soon to be the former CEO right. of Unilever, yeah is doing something that I'm obsessed with. If men don't take parental leave, he actually wants them to call him and tell him why. <laughs> like, that might be a soft policy, but that is a very powerful one, where he is saying, I want everyone to take leave and spend time with their families. A, it's great for dual income families, mm -hmm. 
B, when fathers spend more time at home early on with their children, they spend more time overall with their children as a family person. I mean, just can you imagine what that suggests? Call me if you're not taking it. I want to know why. Right. It's fantastic. He also has another policy where technology, just like Mark Benioff, you push a button, you can see how many people have hired or promoted women. So a lot of men will say, oh, I'm an equal opportunity you know, um, executive. Mm -hmm. And yet, you can look at someone's past performance and see what they actually did. So people can say all they want, but let's actually see what they've done. So it's the, the whole purpose-driven aspect, the leadership associated with that, the corporate responsibility, social responsibility. Um, we coming out, we're coming out with our best countries uh, this Wednesday for this year, 2019. And one of the questions we asked a lot of the global citizens that uh, were surveyed was the, uh, the impact of uh, the government versus corporations on improving the quality of life for citizens. And the majority of uh, the respondents say corporations. But what do you see the role of companies, governments, uh, NGOs working together and the woman's role, a woman's role in that as well as it relates to the uh, 17 um, UN Sustainable Development Goals? Well, I think, first of all, women are um, affected and impacted and responsible across all global goals for the most part. Um, and I do believe that private public sectors are all important in advancing equality in the workplace and advancing equality in the world. And when you look at, um, of course, what some of the you know, corporations are implementing, you know, a lot of policies need to evolve right. to really be um, uh, correct, to be relevant in today's modern workplace. Um, that's terrific, but we also have a lot of countries implementing policies that are going a long way. For example, a lot of states are creating, and you know, countries for that matter, um, the fact that it's illegal to ask anyone what their past salary was. Mm -hmm. Because women, as we all know, are you know, rewarded on their past performance, men on their potential. So we will never close the wage gap if we keep trying to catch up from past performance. So mm -hmm. having that um, instituted as law in certain states and in certain countries is going to go a long way to you know, closing the gap, equal pay for equal work, number one. Parental leave policies, governments you know, creating new legislation around that. And um, I know that uh, Governor Newsom, Gavin Newsom in the state of California just implemented the biggest parental new policy ever, a six-month flexible parental leave, that it could be the man, the woman, the sister, brother, whatever you need to help you in the household you know, that's what that policy will go for. So that will help a lot, that corporations can start adapting. Um, and by the way, if they don't, they will be mm -hmm. left out. And online today, companies are getting raided mm -hmm. across all of these dimensions. And, you know, UK with quotas for boards, whether right. we believe in quotas or we don't, it will flip the balance. Mm -hmm. And when you flip the balance, we will transform culture. So what are the skills? Uh, uh, gender equality is an initiative of the female quotient. But there are a lot of skills that you're working on with women and programs that you're developing with some of your partners or you're doing individually, uh, you know, whether it be with um, 
focus on gender equality, sustainability, partnerships, uh, programs like Shift Forward, Redefining Leadership, et cetera. Can, can you talk about some of your partnerships and how they're addressing certain needs of women in the workplace? Yeah, first of all, I think the most important aspect of the female quotient is we are powered by collaboration. Right. Just like I say, a woman alone is power, collectively we have impact. I say the same thing, a company alone is power, collectively we have impact. Right. We can move a mountain right. together. There are so, there's so much to do, and yet so many of us are doing the same thing separately, mm -hmm. which in my opinion sets us back instead of forward. So the most important aspect of the female quotient is power of collaboration um, with action and accountability mm -hmm. for change. So we work on all of these issues together, and we are the home of equality. Gender equality is not a female issue. It's also not a male issue. Mm -hmm. It's a social and economic issue, and we all talk about that. So by default, it really is a leadership issue, um, and leaders are predominantly men still. Mm -hmm. So we need to change um, the equation all around. So the kinds of things that we do in our lounges from having unplugged mm -hmm. conversations where it's not just talk, 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 of what we're going to do is actually creating solutions for change that we collectively can work on together and take those steps forward. Mm -hmm. And we also share the good, bad, and the ugly. You know, sharing case studies that work, you know, in parity and advancement and culture and leadership, um, and, and sharing the tools that we all could be using, um, and showcasing experts, you know, because we all, we all need help. And I think that's how, you know, we make progress faster together. Um, we do financial um, coaching for women. Mm -hmm. A lot of women, you know, um, really don't ask for the help mm -hmm. and yet they all need that. So we have financial coaching. We do brand briefs. So in the lounge here, we'll help um, people write three, um, three line profiles on themselves. I mean, we're all a brand. Sure. How do we tell that story? How do we tell the story of who we are and what our value is and what our strength is? Um, we do headshots, we do portraits, um, really helping people be the best that they can be. And as much as we coach women, we also are coaching men on how to do and say the right things in today's post-movement post era. Education and awareness is just really important for all of us. So could you share with us some of the leaders that you think are doing a great job when it comes to gender equality and beyond? Um, yes, gosh, I have so many. First of all, what country is number one in your gender equality? Can, in gender can, equality, but overall the number one country is Switzerland. Uh, and, and out of the top t ten, the majority of them, meaning five or more, are countries that are Scandinavian. And the main reason has to do with the soft power issues, yeah. okay, which are the things you touched on. It is the soft power and it is the parental right. policies. But I'm also the co-founder of Hashtag See Her, which is a movement that I brought to the right. ANA, ANA, the Association right. of National Advertisers, right. all around um, the accurate and realistic portrayal of girls and women in media and entertainment. And we created a GEM score, a gender equality measure, mm -hmm. which is that measurement for accountability. Mm -hmm. As Paul Pullman says, you can't treasure what you can't measure. And so when you ask me the question about leadership, um, there are a lot of CMOs today mm. that are in, and CBOs, chief brand officers, that are taking responsibility within their corporations for also creating better advertising mm. and better programming 
um, that reflect women for who they are. And you know, we say, if you can't see her, you can't be her. Right. Or let's flip it, if you can see her, you can be her. So Mark Pritchard is doing a wonderful job within yeah. Proctor mm -hmm. with his advertisement, yeah. Like a Girl, and of course you've seen the recent Gillette yeah, amazing. Um, yeah. ad, which has been polarizing. Mm -hmm. Um, but, you know, men, we never talk about this, but men have been stereotyped too. 34% mm. of men today, especially boys today, say, we don't want to always be cast as the macho, strong guy. We want to be able to show our vulnerability. Mm -hmm. But if we do, or when we do, we are seen as weak. And we have to start reversing this mindset. And so, you know, Mark is, is taking a big lead. Fiona Carter from mm -hmm. AT&T yeah. is also very involved. Keith Weed from right. Unilever, you know, with the Unstereotype Alliance, doing yeah. a lot of work in that capacity. Um, and I, I think that we are seeing a, a real sincere and authentic commitment mm -hmm. to walking the talk and advancing equality in the workplace, advancing um, equality in in media, media defines culture. Mm -hmm. Confidence starts at the age of five. Mm -hmm. So what young people are exposed to today is what they grow up believing, those possibilities. Mm -hmm. And not just for our girls. It's not just about confidence for our girls to be the best that they can be and own their strengths, but right. also what boys perceive of, right. perceives of girls. This is a really important moment for us to own, to own these, decisions and to push these platforms and these messages forward because yeah. no, we're not going to do it who will yeah it's extraordinary and and the impact on culture the millennial generation and authenticity and how that's so critical today in marketing and you know they they can see through things a lot differently than we can and it, it happens very quickly with the speed of communication so one final question okay um you talk about leadership you know leadership inside out but who has inspired you uh, in terms of their leadership capabilities and their influence on you? Um, I, the truth is I have so many um, influences in my life yeah. and it's why I call it mentorship in the moment because you don't have one mentor forever. You get bits and bites of knowledge from so many people. So I am surrounded by passionate, empathetic, fearless um, leaders every single day and I could not be more proud to be in an industry that really does care so much about making a difference. That's what I always say, we don't want this next generation to inherit our shit. You know, we need to clean that up and let them have their own problems, right. you know, to, to solve moving forward. So. I, I'm inspired by, I mean, I, my list is so long because I really do believe I learned so much from so many. But most importantly, my mother has always taught me to believe in myself because if I don't, who will? And it really does start with, with that. Well, thank you very much. Really inspirational chat with you. I appreciate your time. Thank you. You're awesome to talk to. <laughs> this is fun. Some great stuff there from the female Quotient CEO, Shelly Zalas. Bill, I want to thank you for coming on to share these conversations from Davos. We'll see you in a few weeks for another Leaders Talk episode. Thank you. And thanks to our listeners. Please subscribe to our podcast, rate it, comment on it, 
And if you have money questions related to personal finance, investing, real estate, or careers that you'd like answered on future shows, please email wealthofknowledge at usnews.com. We'll review your emails, and we'll try to answer a few on the next episode. Thanks for listening to Wealth of Knowledge. I'm Antonio Barbera. We'll see you next time with another episode in the Leaders Talk series.